Um, Lord, you are so kind. Um, God, I pray right now again for Columbia, that you're going to bless that country and you're going to give pastors special protection and a keen insight to know where to be and when to be there. And you'll protect them from the gorillas. Um, uh, Lord, you are good and you're kind. Thank you for how you're healing uh, Jan Fields. I, I pray for continued healing of Tara Webb. Please bless. Lord, I love you and I thank you for Psalm 133. Please open up my heart, our hearts, to the truth of your word. Lord, I need healing and we need your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, Psalm 133 from the New American Standard Translation. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard as on Aaron's beard, the oil which ran down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For the Lord commanded the blessing there, life forever. And you can see the English Standard Version, ESV. Um, some slight variations, but uh, essentially getting at it. So, real simple. Three verses. Uh, what's in there? Let's, let's dig in. Uh, start with a, uh, an introduction. So, number one, the superscription is David. Some manuscripts do not have the, the inscription of David, but the Qumran scroll does. And so there seems to be some weight that it was Davidic, possibly written by, by David and, and used for uh, centuries after that. Or not, uh, not centuries, but decades and decades after that. Uh, date of writing, possibly 985 or possibly 732. We'll get to that in a minute. It's about covenant fellowship. It's about unity and how significant that is may reflect a time when the tensions between Judah and Israel were high. Do you remember when Israel divided, the divided kingdom, you know, Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and they would fight each other? Israel, it's an internal civil war. It's possible that there may be some hints of that here, and we'll get to that. If that's the case, you're going to date it at around 732 B.C. Uh, there's a chiastic structure to, to the psalm. Now remember, a chiasm is an X. An X marks the spot. It's Think of it this way. A, men. B, dogs. C, cats. D, mice. All right? And you do that sequence, but then you pull out, and you're going to go from mice to cats to dogs to men. So you get this A, B, C, D kind of pattern in the logic and right where it intersects is the point. That's like the core teaching. So this is what it would look like. You get blessing A and A. Starts with the concept of a blessing, good and pleasant. Ends with the concept of a blessing. Moves to the comparison with oil. The blessing is like oil. Or the blessing is like dew. But then it gets to the core idea of what Aaron does. So if you can see that chiasm and C is where it marks the spot. That's why it's called a chiasm. The Greek letter chi, the X. Okay, So it's that X that marks the spot. And so if you can get that, then you realize that Aaron's ministry is what this thing's really about. you got to pay attention to that or you're going to miss something. Okay, so let's look at this. Verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers 
to dwell together in unity. Brothers is ak. Uh, literally means brothers, but it's plural, brothers, relatives, members of the same tribe, etc. So what is the brother? We've got two options here. Uh, interpretation A is the psalm is a call for Israeli males to get along. It's like Bruce and his brother, brother buddy John need to quit arguing and get along, you know. So two males, come on, you guys, get along. Uh, it's a focus on the family kind of thing, you know. Individuals need to learn to get along. Or is it interpretation B that we're really talking about Israel and Judah? This calls to the divided kingdom, and the north needs to get along with the south. The south is Judah, Zion, and the north is Israel. But that's what's going on. Now we're talking about a focus on the nation. Which one is it? Okay. Unity, uh, ayad, literally union, to be alike, to be together, to be unified. It's rather, rather simply stated there. So, all right. Is this about a, two brothers that need to quit fighting? Or is this about a nation that needs to be restored and come together uh, as the people of God, as, as Israel? Which one is it? So, let's look at verse 2. Whatever this unity is like, it's like oil, precious oil, that's on, on the, the head of Aaron during an anointing process that runs down and drips down over the face onto the beard. And if there's enough oil, it'll drip down the robes and even off the hems of the garment. Look at Exodus 30. Uh, Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take also for yourself the finest of spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels. Do you get an idea how expensive 500 shekels is? That's a lot. And a fragrant cinnamon, half as much, 250. And a fragrant cane, 250. And a casia, 500, according to the shekel of the century. And olive oil. We're talking about a very, very costly oil. And that oil is to be considered holy. It's set apart for an exclusive use of anointing uh, Aaron and Aaron's sons. And uh, you see some detail there and in instructions. When you look at Leviticus 8, you actually read how they did it, how they set aside Aaron and his sons to be holy and dedicated, and then all the equipment in, in the worship area. They would, they would anoint and use this oil on all the sacred implements and tools of, of the temple. The tabernacle, so really, really uh, special, right? Very symbolic, very expensive, very, very holy. Now, if Aaron is where this thing kind of the X that marks the spot, then something we appreciate is this: that Israel, the connecting point, the linkage between Israel and God, Jehovah, is Aaron, the priesthood, right? So, if you wanted to go and worship, where do you go? You go to the tabernacle. You go to the temple. So it's a location that is specifically in, you know, Zion. And then it's a person that helps lead that, right? So the point being, Aaron is the linkage that gets you connected with Jehovah, with God, all right? So that's the X that marks the spot, all right? But look at this. This changes in Jesus Christ. I want to bump forward to where we are today. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, 
that there is one God and one mediator also between God and mankind, and that is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us as a ransom, which is beautiful. We don't go through a priest anymore. We are not Catholics. The Catholic system is modeled on the Israeli system of the Aaronic priesthood. We are not Catholics. We don't go through a priest to get to God. We go through Jesus, okay? Uh, by the way, this pressure oil tov in Hebrew, it's good, it's excellent, it's appropriate, it's right, beneficial, pleasant. It's, it's excellent is a translation there. Um, by the way, tov, uh, it's kind of a general word in Hebrew, good, commonly translated good. But it, it says that, you know, when God made the heavens and the earth, he saw that everything he made was very tov. So it's really a unique word. All right. Yeah, um, I would have to see the spelling, but yeah, it, it would be tov. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's good that you caught that, yeah. Um, so uh, I wanted you to see this part in verse 3. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. That is a, uh, a contradiction, okay? Because Mount Hermon is 100 miles north from Jerusalem. There's no way that that dew on Mount Hermon is going to fall on Mount Zion, on Jerusalem. Not going to happen. Will there be rainfall that could carry it through some streams in the Jordan? Okay, you know, you could, you could argue maybe from, from that, but that is so obscure that you're really pushing things. Uh, what is actually being said, we're comparing climates because Mount Hermon, which is in the background with the snow on top, that's 9,000 feet uh, up. And in the cooler seasons, there's snow on it. And even in the warm season, there's so much rainfall. It is so moist. It is a garden of Eden of lush greenery. It's just a beautiful place in northern Israel. Okay, really, really beautiful. Um, that is life-giving, right? In comparison, when you go to south Israel, toward the Dead Sea and all that, it is so arid. It's lifeless. It's desert. It's rocks. Um, do you recall the wilderness scenario where Jesus is going about for 40 days, you know, fasting? I mean, it's sand and rock, and that's it. It's very remote and very, very dry. And so the, the whole point is that the blessing of God is like this rich, lush environment where there's moisture and cool, refreshing temperatures it's as though the dew and the blessings of that geographic region, that climate, is like falling on Israel proper, Jerusalem. We're talking about a blessing, not dew. <laughs> We're talking about a blessing. It's a metaphor. It's a simile. Absolutely. So, um, but that's how significant this is. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For the Lord commanded this blessing their life forevermore. So really, really beautiful. Okay, unity. Yeah, let me pop back here. Just want to want to see this again. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to live together in unity. Let's try another translation. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when Israel gets along with Israel. <laughs> okay. Of course, it's brothers, Esau and Jacob, of course. 
How beautiful when two brothers get along. But I think there's something much bigger because when you talk about Hermon, Mount Hermon, where is that? It's in Israel. It's in the north. Where is Judah? It's in the south. It's Jerusalem. So I think there's your hint that this is a national problem, not a couple of guys can't get along. So how good and how pleasant it is when Israel gets along with Israel. It's so precious, it's like oil, that expensive oil. Can you imagine what it would take to make that oil? To just get liquid myrrh and that, the volume, by, you know, 500 shekels in weight? This is really, really elaborate stuff. Um, it's symbolizing something holy. And it, it's rich and abundant, and it runs down the beard, uh, even down to the robes, edge of the robes. It's lush and life-giving, like the moisture in northern Israel. Uh, let, that, let that fall on Jerusalem on Mount Zion. That's the idea. All right, so let's look at some life application. How do we apply that to us today, uh, this idea of unity? Um, I, you know, I have seen, Lisa and I have seen, more churches go through tremendous hardship and battles over doctrine, battles over which side the piano goes, Janice, you know. And we laugh and say how silly it is, but it happens. The, the silly stories about the color of the carpet or, or where the piano goes or drums on the stage, those devil drums that bring up those satanic beats and, and calling up the spirit of dead people and the demons when you got those drums in church, you know, and all that stuff. And it just and it rips churches apart. You've, I'm sure you've heard of the war stories. Um, so what about unity? How do we pull this into the world today? Um, certainly how good and how pleasant it is when a husband and wife get along. Certainly that. How good it is when moms and dads and kids get along and there's unity at home. When brothers and sisters, siblings get along, that's a beautiful thing. When a church gets along, that's a beautiful thing, right? So what about unity? Um, these are some verses from the New Testament that are really, really critical. Ephesians 4 Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. All right, everybody, pop quiz. What is that? What is the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? What's that? saying that so many times. Thank you, Amy, for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, has, is the spirit ever um, ever related to oil, oil? Anointing? Yeah. Wine, oil, fire, are all symbolic things of the Holy Spirit, you know. Um, 
I think it's unique that as Christians, we all have the oil of the anointing of the Holy Spirit on us. Why? Because we go through Jesus now. You don't go through a priest. You go through Jesus. So we all, when you're born again, Jesus is on the inside. And it's a beautiful thing. So what if the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is that you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, that ought to be something that would make our bond genuine, and we need, we need to fight for that. We need to maintain the bond of peace that we share because we are Christians. Janice, your wheels are turning. Well, there's a thought that you're saying, and it starts with we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And at the very end of it, it says, and they'll know we are Christians by our, by our love. So you're suggesting then that love is a part of that thing that keeps us unified. Okay, let's, let's test her theory. Let's see what we have here. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation, if these things are real, this is a third class conditional argument. If it is, and we know it is, is what he's saying in Greek. Third class conditional arguments. If there's any encouragement, of course there is in Christ. Any consolation of love, of course there is. Any fellowship of the Spirit, he's in you, he's in me, and of course there is. If there's any affection and compassion, and there is, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, Janice mentioned that, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. The great commission, the call, the great commandment to love. Uh, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. So by implication, we could say the stuff that, that uh, destroys unity is selfishness and empty conceit. The stuff that restores it, pulls it together, humility, and considering the need of the other person is more important than yourself. That creates unity. So by the way, in a good marriage, if the wife is radically committed to meeting the needs of the husband, his needs are met. If he is radically committing the needs of the wife, then her needs are met. And at that point, there's no neglect. But if only one person is committed to that, then there's going to be profound neglect. So same with the parents and children, children and parents. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, it's interesting that he argues, um, I'm ask, he's saying, I want you to consider the needs of the other person more important than your own, because that's what Jesus did. And he had a right to demand his kingly way, but he didn't. He did not consider equality with God something to harpagmos, something to grab away and steal and say, that's mine. And nobody's taking that out of my hand. That's what harpagmos means. Nobody's going to get it out of my hand. He actually let it go. I'm going to let go of my, my God state and God authority and God prerogatives. I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to consider the needs of people, humans, more important than myself. Um, Colossians, in addition to all these things, Janice, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. There you go. Yeah. And love is patient, and love is kind, and love is gentle. Yeah. Verse 53, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, by implication. And I know that, listen. 
there's such a, a, a bent to the male gender in the New Testament because it's written by men and we shouldn't be surprised. But implication, brotherly love and sisterly love. A tender heart and a humble mind. It's interesting that typically for Paul, if you scan it real quick, the concepts of unity are, are directly related to concepts of humility. They're very related. If you're going to be unified, you've got to have humility, right? Because if you have pride, you're going to start demanding something over against your brother, your sister, and all of a sudden, unity is now compromised. Okay, so we can look at that and go, man, we need to get along. Why can't you people love each other? Come on, you know. We can really, really, really drill there, right? But what about reasons to be disunified? Are there reasons to be disunified in church? Well, where are you going to put the piano, for one thing? What about that paint on the wall? Is there something worth fighting about? Sure. What? Don't ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, where we were before, before we came here, there were some bad things going on. Okay. So, you know, okay. those types of things. Okay. What about disunity and doctrinal integrity? Just as I urge you upon my departure in Macedonia to remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to useless speculation rather than the advance of God's plan, which is by faith. So I urge you now. Sometimes the church has to be confrontational, right? First Timothy 6, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree <laughs> with, that, with what I'm saying, with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, the doctrine conforming to Godless, he's conceited, she's conceited, understands nothing but has a sick craving for controversial questions and disputes about words from which come envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions. All the stuff that destroys unity. So for Paul... There's a fight to be had, and there's a fight to be won, and it's the fight over doctrine. Well, that blows it up because you've got Southern Baptist, Missionary Baptist. You've got Primitive Baptist. You've got, you know, all the stuff. You've got Pentecostal, First Pentecostal, United Pentecostal, Assemblies of God, Church of God in Christ. I mean, it goes, goodness, thousands of denominations. So in a way, yeah. There's a fight to be had, but there's also basic core doctrine to be settled on. We, we should be able to figure this stuff out, right? Romans 16, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you've learned and turn away from them. Well, that doesn't sound very unifying. That's called shunning. And Paul's saying, do it. Do it. Ouch. Ouch. What about this one? Titus, reject a fact, factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Factious. He's a troublemaker with his mouth. False teaching. Okay. Second John, if anyone goes too far, and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, 
does not have God, the one who abides in the teaching, he is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him your greeting. By the way, Bruce, that's a blessing of peace. For the one who gives him a peace blessing, a greeting, participates in his evil deeds. Wow. So there's reasons to fight for the unity and there's reasons to create disunity and literally keep out factious people and, and keep out the problem of false teaching. Keep it out. So there's a quick summary just right there. Unity, disunity, doubt, integrity, relationships are sacred, certainly. So, all right. How do we pull um, this song into our world today? I gave you some things about doctrine. How do we, I mean, this is like 985 BC or maybe 732 BC, and here it is, 2021 AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. <laughs> You're talking about a long time ago when this was written. How does it apply to us today? lot of political division right now. Um, people that use words that create factions. D divisive words. Troublemakers. Yeah. What else? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're you know what right. comes to mind when we were looking at other churches for a while that things to move and to, or, yeah. to collaborate with? I know you or someone else talked to a small, a couple of smaller congregations, and I don't know what denomination they were. I could probably guess, but they would have rather seen their church die a slow, miserable death than come together with us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember, oh, absolutely. That was so much about power. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, someone else about how do we pull this into our world today? And see, this is alive, sharp as a two edged sword. Um, God's word.
how about how about this, Janice? Um, you mentioned we need to be discerning. Um, it's really interesting that the Pharisees came at people conditionally. Um, I, if you're going to have a relationship with me, you're going to have to be a law keeper. At least as much as I'm a law keeper, you've got to meet me where I say the rules are. And if they fail to do that, then there is division. Agree with me on what I say the laws are, and if you don't, you're out. And so therefore, there's this whole kind of subculture of the people that wouldn't submit to all the Jewish uh, fences around the fence around the fence. And Jesus comes and blows that up, bypasses all the oral tradition, you know, and goes straight to what mattered, relationships, right? So the woman caught in adultery, uh, he, he says to her, where are your, where are your accusers? And she, she looks up because she thinks she's going to get in a rock. So she looks up and she goes, I don't see them. And he says, well, I don't condemn you either. What a unifying event that would have been for her that that Jesus would love and accept her for who she is. So Jesus had an amazing ability to do that, to bypass so many of the things that, that we trip over and, and the silly hill that's not worth dying for. He knows how to walk around that hill, but we, we charge it, you know, guns blazing kind of thing. So, um, but did Jesus ever, was he ever a troublemaker? Did he ever cause disunity? Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. We turned over the table. Absolutely. That was a political statement. That was a theological statement. That was a social statement. Boy, did he, did he turn the apple cart over. He sure did. And in fact, a lot of historians, uh, Amy, say that what really got him crucified was from a political perspective, is that in the temple when he does it the second time? First time, Sadducees, Sadducees ran the temple. Pharisees were the moral police that launched the program of getting out there and going to the hinterlands to make sure everybody's obeying the rules. Sadducees were dangerous. They were dangerous. They were in tight with Pilate and the Roman. It's, it's bad. <clears throat> So when Jesus came in and early in John's gospel turns over the temple uh, tables and all that, boy, did he cross a line. Okay. When he does it the second time, there seems to be some hints. That's when the Sadducees say, okay, take him out. Authorizations were given. Agreements were made with Pilate. It was all, it was all a setup. And then the arrest was made. And that's how he was delivered over in the hands. So, okay. Um, in Luke's gospel, there's a verse that's fascinating where he says, um, don't think that I have come to bring unity. I have come to bring a sword. I have come to set the world on fire. <laughs> he says that. I'm not here to make everybody happy. I'm not here to bring peace. I bring a sword. Now he says it theologically because he said, I am dividing men 
It is the sheep and the goats, the believers and the non-believers. I'm here to turn the apple cart over on multiple levels. So, yeah. Yeah. When does, does, does Jesus have a problem with false teaching? Oh, yeah. All the Pharisees, they're out there in the field. Sadducees running the temple. Pharisees out in the field. They're the ones arguing with Jesus. And he would not let them give false teaching in the presence of people without correcting it. So he did that. He was, he was quick. If there was false teaching, he would expose it and correct it. Anything else about how we pull this in our world? Como esta? Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Tough question. What's more important, people or rules? Rick and Carol, what do you think? People or rules? Which one is it? People? Rick, you have a chance to be unified with your wife and say people. Okay, good answer. (laughs) Everybody turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1, and look at verse 17. John 1, 17. The law came through Moses. But what came through Jesus? Grace and truth. truth. How do you hold those two things in tension? Grace, relationships. It's all about relationships. Truth. Got to have it. Got to have it. So what is that funny statement for God so loved the Lord he didn't send a committee? Wow. For God so loved the world he didn't send an addendum to the rule book? For God so loved the world he sent his son. So relationships certainly are absolutely core, number one. But once that relationship is established, now discipleship kicks in, now we got truth. Anybody else on unity? Think. I'm reminded of the the story of Noah and the idea of a dove going out and bringing an olive branch and that olive branch uh, imagery is something we use today to say I'm I'm giving you peace, I'm extending the olive branch I'm, I'm extending you hope and peace and acceptance you know, it's beautiful um I know you're aware of the tradition, but in Jewish culture, during times of meal sharing, if you took bread and dipped it in a bowl with a sauce or marmalade or something like that, or salt, and you dipped it in that, and you handed your bread that you just dipped to somebody, what are you saying when you do that? 
it's a similar friendship. It's a symbol of unity. Okay, he did that with Judas prior to the uh, betrayal. When we take the bread and the cup, we are. It, it's a symbol of the fact that Jesus is doing this. Right. It's His body broken for us. It's His blood. It's not mine. It's His, and He's allowing me to be a part of it. It's as though He's reaching across the table and giving me the bread. So. It's a gesture of unity that we have that gives us peace, which is absolutely beautiful. So, um, okay. Let me pray. Lord, um, thank you for Psalm 133 and uh, help me to be a part of the process of fighting for the unity and maintaining the bonds of peace. Thank you that love allows us to do that. Uh, have mercy on us, oh God, please. Um, please heal our nation and the horrific factions that have divided our nation on so many levels. Please let your gospel be proclaimed from coast to coast and that Jesus is really the greatest point of unity that we could ever ever share together. Thank you for these great gifts. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, when you're ready, let's take the Lord's Supper together. Thank you all so much for being a part of this. Yeah. Um, Bruce and Janice, how about an update with Sarah? Oh, wow. Oh, that's great. That's good. That's so good. Um, I spoke at FaceTime with Jan Fields today, and her oxygen is down to 80% assist. It needs to come down to 50. When it does, that's the be okay for her to go to step down room, get out in a regular room. Uh, but you could tell uh, just looking at her, you know, Jan's back. Just that smiley, fun spirit about her. So um, continue to pray for God's grace. And for Frank, Frank's carrying a heavy load. Five dogs, four horses, uh, working for the state, just doing it all by himself. How hard that would be. So, um, Remember Colombia, pray for them, uh, pray for um, Afghanistan and what's happening. I understand that we are getting some of the Americans out, that there are some, some plans in place, which is good. So anybody else, something to pray about that we need to know about? Anything? Okay. It's probably the last 
How old is she? 63. Okay. which proves that exercise and a healthy lifestyle are really dangerous. And we need to relax and enjoy ice cream. Thank you for clarifying that. I was wondering. I'm going to send you an email on him just so we can get him on the... Okay, on the, on the prayer chain. Okay, got it, got it. Uh, Randa Hallett's dear, dear childhood friend, Tara Webb, they said, doctor said she had a 15% chance of surviving. She's continued to, to live the last couple of days, and her husband Rick texted me and said, hey, she made the last few days, made it through, her numbers are up, so praying for mercy that she'll pull out of this. Um, so praying for that, so, okay. All right, um, everyone, thank you so very, very much. I appreciate you, yeah. Uh, David, Martha Jane, thank you for being online thank you. Um, okay thank you everybody have a good night take care you too okay bye
Just makes me feel good because I do that. So oh, no. please do. Oh no, oh no, yeah, nothing like that. <laughs> 